welcome to Full Spirals, a podcast about how life can take you for a spin, but still leave you grounded. Stories of hope and healing through the arts and the many ways creativity can lead you right back to yourself. I'm Stacy Parrish. Hello, spinners. It's just me and you today, and I'm so excited about bringing this episode to you. Today is the first day of Women's History Month, and after last month's three-part series on setting voices free, I realized something. Somewhere along the line, I sort of stopped using my own voice. Well, obviously not completely, because the episodes were still coming out, but I did move away from what really lights me up. I stopped writing, I stopped storytelling, and it makes sense. The production of this podcast is full-time work, and it's kind of the same thing that always seems to happen. As a creative person, I find a project that I'm passionate about, and pretty soon it's more work than passion. Grind culture takes over and I get so lost in the minutia that I lose the essence, like the guts and the juice for why I started to begin with. You know what I mean? So as I prepare for the National Women's Storytelling Festival in Fairfax, Virginia later this month, which I'll be both attending and performing at, I'm reminded of how long it's been since I've made space for writing and for storytelling. So This episode is sort of going back to the OG season one format of Full Spirals with a little zhuzh added in. Yeah, to kick off Women's History Month, I'm going to tell two stories. Then I'm offering a brief prompt for you to ponder and possibly take the risk to write about yourself. Get those creative juices flowing and celebrate the women in your life. Sound good? Cool. So because I am a woman in recovery, I do tend to put my stories together the same way I used to do it when I would share at meetings. What happened? What was it like? And what's it like now? Not a bad way to put a story together. So my first story is simply called Rocks. So I used to lick rocks when I was a little kid. And I'd lick them because I figured out that rocks are prettier when they're wet. The colors are so much more vibrant and you can see the details better. And I'm an artist and always have been. So seeking colors in nature has kind of always been my jam. So I'd sit on top of a pile of landscaping rocks in front of the barn while my dad worked on projects in his workshop. And I'd pick them up one by one, looking closely at each one of them to take in their colors and their textures. And my pockets were always full of them. There wasn't a lot of safety in my world, but atop that pile of rocks, I felt safe, like at home, more like myself than pretty much anywhere else in the world, just sitting there seeking. It felt, I don't know, purposeful somehow, even if I was just licking rocks to see their pretty colors. I didn't grow up in a house full of seekers or with any faith to speak of. Not really. My mom referred to herself as a recovering Catholic. She told tales of the nuns that wrapped on her knuckles with a ruler. And I always referred to her as a Catholic rebel because we always left mass at communion so that she could get out of the parking lot without any hassles. The best part of church for me was that torn in half piece of double mint or even better juicy fruit, you know, ripped in half from the bottom of my mom's purse, even if it tasted like perfume. It was great. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit completely escaped me. They were just names and words. 
But in my 30s, a need for faith, a real need for faith, revealed itself when I began to have memories surface of repressed abuse. My perpetrators, my father, his son, my brother, and a cousin. So I did develop some faith, but it was in booze and weed, and they worked just fine for me until they didn't anymore. Something had to change. So when I went to my first AA meeting, they gave me a white poker chip to put in my pocket to remind me of my surrender to the program. For a time, I carried that chip around in my pocket and I tried to surrender to the male version of God that I grew up with, but the father and his white beard and long flowing robes pretty much just made my skin crawl and there was no way I was turning anything over to that father. My therapist at the time sent me to a recovery retreat, and while there, we were gifted a token to help with our faith. A long table with a black tablecloth was covered with polished stones, and our leader let us know that we didn't need to fret over which one to choose. You don't choose the rock, she said. The rock chooses you. So I chose this purple rock and was told that it was an amethyst. Cool. I thought, that's my birthstone. So I held onto that thing tightly all weekend, and I began to carry it around in my pocket. A week or so later at an AA meeting, I noticed a pendant around a woman's neck, and I recognized it as the same rock that I still carried around in my pocket, an amethyst. It was wire-wrapped and just exquisite. I commented on it, and she said that she never took it off because amethyst is the stone of sobriety. And right then I knew. I got my rocks back and my faith lived in them. They held the energy of the earth and goodness and hope. And whenever I feel afraid or lost or alone, I only need to reach into my pocket and hold on. So my second story is about one of my favorite things in the world, my bike. And this one I just call Freedom Ride. So I didn't grow up with a whole lot of agency as a kid, but there was one thing that I was always allowed to do. Every summer, I was free to go outside and ride. And although my very first bike was a hand-me-down, she was all mine. She had a bright metallic blue body with coaster brakes, long mustache handlebars, a white basket, and this badass white banana seed covered with purple, red, and yellow flowers. And on the ends of the handlebars were these streamers that went in the breeze as I cruised around town. So my favorite place to ride in the summer was up to the elementary school for our rec department's summer playground. And my legs, always considered too big and too chunky, would pump away up this huge hill on the way there. And at the beginning of the summer, I'd have to stop and walk my bike to make it to the top. But by the end of the summer, I could make it all the way to the top of that huge hill without getting off my bike. Yes. Sure, I made this ride every day for the summer playground, but also because there was no feeling in the world like screaming down that hill on the way home. The wind in my face, my hair flying all over the place. I just felt so alive, so free, like This is where I belonged, and I felt like I could fly. When I graduated eighth grade, I got my very own fancy red Ladies Schwinn 10-speed with curled handlebars and skinny tires. I rode that bike all over town, and late in the summer, I rode it to and from my tennis practices. So one day after practice, I was carrying a teammate's gear on my handlebars along with my own. While riding my usual path, the bridge was full of people, and there was no room for me to cross. So I attempted to bypass the bridge by riding on the grass alongside it. Suddenly, I realized that the grass was going to run out and I was going to go over a cliff if I didn't get back on the bridge. I tried to reach for my brakes, but got nothing but a handful of sweatshirts and tennis rackets, and I couldn't stop. 
My bike and I sailed over the cliff into a culvert, tossing me face first into a stone wall. Everything kind of went in slow motion, just like you hear in the movies. And I don't remember feeling any pain when my mouth hit the wall, just like a cold, hard impact. The next thing I remember, I was sitting in shock on the ledge of the field stone wall while like half a dozen people looked for my teeth in the bottom of the culvert. At that point, we didn't realize that they were embedded in the roof of my mouth. I tried to ride a bike again on occasion, maybe half a dozen times in almost 40 years, but inevitably the same thing would happen. I'd have this moment of panic rush over me and I'd have to stop. And the story I told myself was that I'd had this terrible accident when I was 14 and it was only natural that I couldn't ride. Some people can, I just wasn't one of them. But in 2018, I started dating Jeff. He's a therapist by trade and he spent many years working with adolescents doing wilderness therapy outdoors, in the dead of winter, in Wisconsin. The guy knew how to survive and being with him made me feel safe. So in the first few weeks of our dating, he completed a 50 mile race in our town called Bike to the Beat, which combines music and biking. And I was so envious. I genuinely missed biking for the first time since giving it up. And something in me really wanted to try again. So the following spring, we went to a local bike shop where you can ride bikes right out the door of the shop and onto a safe trail to try them out. I was very shaky at first. And yeah, I had a few moments of panic, but I was resolute. I was on a mission and Jeff was right there encouraging me. So I tried out like three or four different bikes and found the one that felt just right. And if there's any bike geeks listening, she's a black Live Rove 3 with teal details. So in addition to landing that badass bike that day, I also made the decision to start to train for my very own 50 mile bike to the beat ride. So one Sunday while training, I went out for a really early ride while the rest of the town was still asleep, listening and singing along to Senorita by Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabela. I love it when you call me Senorita. Yes, I was blissed out. I really had recaptured that feeling that I had had as a kid. I was back. Then up in front of me, I noticed a sort of sketchy van coming to a stop on the road perpendicular to the direction I was riding in. And it was the kind of van whose photo would be in the dictionary next to the words sketchy van, like a really long body, no windows, double doors in the back. It was like 6 a.m. on a Sunday. I hadn't seen another vehicle all morning, so it just struck me as odd. The driver started to pull through the intersection, did a double take when they saw me, stopped in the middle of the intersection, did a Y turn and started driving in the same direction I was traveling in. And they were driving slow, like slow enough that I easily could have caught up to them. Ugh, I was just blissed out. Now I've got this sketchy van in front of me and I don't feel safe riding my route anymore. Like, dude, I'm not going to pass this van. I've seen Silence of the Lambs. I turned my bike around and started riding in the other direction, slowly at first, and then as fast as I could. And that's when it happened. That old, familiar panic. And instead of steering my bike to safety, I lost control of it and went straight into a curb where my bike stopped and my body kept going. I flew over my bike and landed hard on the ground, banging into the frame as I landed. The wind knocked out of me. I lay there stunned, unsure about whether or not I could even get up. And as I picked up my bike, I began to sob and sob, feeling that my carefree bliss had been taken away once again, beginning to believe that bikes just weren't for me after all. Here was the proof. 
With tears running down my face and adrenaline coursing through my veins, I got back on my bike and started riding. That old expression about getting back on the horse just kept running through my head. As I continued my ride home, my tears of sadness turned to tears of rage. And I began to feel like, hey, nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to take this freedom away from me now that I just rediscovered it. I spent about two weeks off my bike, letting some bruised ribs and a really sore knee heal. But after that, I continued to ride. And I found a hill to train on. And at first, I had to get off my bike and walk it. But soon, I could ride all the way to the top, happy for these big old muscular legs. And as I was screaming down the hill with the wind in my face and the scenery flying by, I felt a new kind of freedom. Because I knew that biking was forever mine, and then I'd be safe at the bottom of that hill. And in the end, my injury did in fact keep me from completing a 50-mile ride. But Jeff and I did complete a 30-mile bike to the beat together. And for the first time since that little blue bike with the streamers, I felt like I could fly. All right. Are you guys ready to write? Get some paper, get a pen. Let's do this. So this prompt just sort of came to me one morning. And today, it makes so much sense to share it with you. Embarking on a new chapter in my career as a full-time podcaster, and having just celebrated another birthday, it's all made me quite reflective. It's taken me just shy of seven years to get here, to a place of working as an artist, doing the work I believe I'm meant to do, and I've spent years chipping away at all of the ways that I held myself back, all while realizing there's a reason that that happened to begin with. So if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you'll relate and find some profound truths if you choose to write out a few sentences, paragraphs, pages, whatever, to the prompt. So here it is. There's a scene in the film Titanic where Rose's mother is sort of angrily tying her into her corset. And we've all seen images like this, a woman holding on to a bedpost for dear life while she gets tied in and the breath gets slowly squeezed out of her one tie at a time. So close your eyes and sink into your body. Really feel what it might feel like to slowly get tied into something that restricts your breath. Now ask yourself, how would you move through the world restricted like that? Notice how your body feels. Notice your breath. How would it affect your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs about yourself, your actions? Now, I want you to think about what it would feel like to take it off. <sighs> okay, now press pause and write for like five or 10 minutes. Ready? All right. Welcome back. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Please share your reflections with me by sending a note through the contact tab at fullspirals.com. And to celebrate Women's History Month, a new episode will be dropped each week in the month of March so that we can all be inspired and breathe a little more easily together. Thanks so much for listening and take good care. Full Spirals was produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. The music by Helen Avakian. Additional music provided by Beth Kelly. Production assistance by Jeff Ryan. If you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, and share Full Spirals. Bring your friends and your fam along for the ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform, because we really are all in this together. Till next time, take care. 